0: so i want to remind nurses to be gracious with themselves if you freeze that's okay you're not a bad nurse you're a really good nurse that really cares about this patient and recognizes the emergency but you do have to take the effort to be like okay I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this tachycardia. I'm feeling my hands sweating. I feel short of breath. What is happening right now? It's not incapacitating me. It's not hindering me. I'm actually about to be the best nurse for this Oh, I
1: gotta go. Hey. I've been working, told them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bruh, just leave me alone. Hey. Was on the road, but I saw I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. Hey. See, I did it for me. Now, my old friends calling told him nothing's for free. Told me time is money, but that's I, I paid all my fees. I was starving for this game. Now, my fan they can't eat. Hey,
2: everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses show. We are your hosts, Peter and Matt, two nurses on a mission to change this world, one conversation at a time. So, let's jump right into it. If you find value in this show and want to join us on this mission, please share and review the show it would mean absolutely everything to us. You can find us on cupofnurses.com for the latest info, merch releases, and all the updates on what we're up to. For our lifestyle podcast, you can check out
1: wearefrontlinewarriors.com. In this episode, we would like to introduce you to Sarah Lorenzini. Sarah is a rapid response nurse, educator, and podcast host who teaches nurses how to respond to emergencies. She is passionate about empowering nurses with confidence and competence to advocate for their patients. We talk about the roles of a rapid response nurse and how to properly deal with emergent situations. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. Can you give us a little bit about your background and nursing experience?
0: Yeah, sure. So I started as a nurse in 2004 uh, in the ER. I actually went to nursing school with the intention of being a pediatric nurse or like labor and delivery. But i got a job in the er nursing school and surprisingly i fell in love with taking care of patients in crisis mm. um, i was not expecting to be ER nurse in fact i applied to labor and delivery as a nurse tech and they didn't even call me back i was so disappointed but it happened for a reason because i was meant to be in the er i loved it so much uh, i did er nursing for about eight years i was the charge nurse and the preceptor and did a lot of education really enjoyed educating really loved having um, preceptees and so I went back to school, grad school, to be a nursing educator and while I was in grad school, I went and worked in the cardiac ICU because I knew there was more that I could learn outside of ER nursing. I wanted to take care of the patients with the LVADs and the impellas and the balloon pumps and all the open heart surgeries and transplant. That just fascinated me. So I worked cardiac ICU for a couple of years. Um, and then I was asked to be on the rapid response team at that hospital. So I did rapid response for a while. And rapid response is great. Honestly, it is a mix of ER and ICU nursing kind of into one role. So I, I really took to that pretty easily. I finally graduated, got my master's in nursing education. I worked as a nursing professor for one year. <laughs> and I loved the students. I loved it so much. But I still just had this drive to be at the bedside, to be saving patients' lives. Um, making powerpoints is really hard i mean i can do it but like doing the whole educator life i wasn't quite ready for that i'll probably end up there whenever i'm older but right now i really miss the bedside then i got offered to be the er nurse educator so i was an er nurse educator for a while and then COVID hit and my heart wanted to be back at the bedside like i couldn't teach any more donning and doffing of ppe and i (laughs) i just wanted to be with the patients and so the hospital that I work at now, um, before we didn't have a dedicated rapid response team. Like, if a rapid response was called, they would send the ICU charge nurse or the CVU charge nurse, and like the whole team would kind of come together. Um, but I went to the leadership of the hospital and said, Listen, y'all need a dedicated rapid response team. COVID is hard. We can't be pulling these ICU, CVU charge nurses away from the bedside, away from their team. I'd like to start a team. And so, they gave me the ability to do that. So I started the rapid response team in my hospital. I've had the privilege to pick out all of my favorite nurses from the whole hospital to be a part of my team. Um, And I, man, it is truly a dream job because I get to do education, lots of education, which I enjoy doing. Um, I get to be like an ER nurse and like jump in and figure out what's going on and like the, the, the rapid response element. But there's also the critical care aspect of Titrating drips and analyzing and trying to figure out the labs and, you know, the like mulling over all the hemodynamics. I, I do that as well. So, it really, it's all my favorite things in a one job. I'm just really grateful to be in this spot of my career.
1: So, Sarah, you mentioned a lot about team building, building a rapid response team. What kind of nurses do you look for, or do you look for specific characteristics in a nurse? How do you find good nurses to be a rapid response nurses?
0: It's a good question. It's actually a really hard position to fill. You think like, lots of people would be candidates. And while a lot of nurses meet the requirements, I'm really picky with who I hire. Um, so obviously they have to have critical care experience. Uh, we require three years of either ER or ICU. Most of my team actually has both. Um, they have to have their CCRN or CEN, so their certification or specialty. Um, and those things are like minimum, but really what I'm looking for is a certain personality type. So a lot of critical care nurses, they're, they know they're the best. They know that they like, have a lot of knowledge, they bring a lot to the table, but if you bring in that um, approach, like come riding in on your high horse, people are not going to be as responsive to you, nor will they want to call you because they're afraid you're going to be condescending or make them feel stupid, and nobody wants that. And so what I look for is nurses that have been preceptors, that like teaching, that like coming alongside other nurses and supporting them, uh, people who are generally positive that aren't gonna be like bring the whole team down, someone who's able to lead a debrief after a code and somehow swing it in a way that's gonna be positive and not just like, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. So I, it really is a certain personality. So that nurse on your unit that's like pretty positive, team player, go-getter, is able to like bring the group together tends to be like nurturing supportive that's the personality i look for i don't care if you like the smartest the most amazing the most experienced nurse in the hospital if you're rude to people or you can't coordinate a team effort that's not how i'm looking for it really is personality as much as it is clinical attitude
2: i like how you mentioned that because when i first started nursing i was a med surgeon i called the rapid and the rapid, rapid response nurse came in she had those character traits where everybody was freaking out in a sense. She remained very calm, composure, asked the question of what's going on, and she sort of troubleshooting the patient before the, the resident got in there. And, and sometimes the main nurse will, you know, she'll point out to the main nurse, hey, what's going on, talk to the doctor, and she's coordinated everything. And that was that's one of the moments that inspired me to also join the ICU because I'm like, wow, that's, that's awesome that someone has this ability to be composed, has a poker face and just understand what's going on with the patient. So I have a question because you work both ER and ICU. If you are an adrenaline junkie that's listening that wants to choose between the role of more excitement, would it be the <laughs> ER or the ICU? If you have to oh, choose Oh, man. One.
0: So they are very different. <laughs> I think you can be, it's not so much adrenaline junkie as it is like, what is your pace? And so nurses that kind of tend towards liking everything to be organized and structured and planned out kind of know what to expect like the analytical type would love the icu they might find themselves very frustrated in the er role um on the contrary nurses that are kind of messy and they're okay with chaos and they they're okay with like moving forward without having all the information they do really well in the er and kind of get bogged down in the icu all the little details to keep track of in the icu and so I think both environments have their element of like adrenaline, if you want to say that. Um, The ICU is often like the same, the same, the same. Oh my god! (laughs) And then there's this whole, you know, experience where it's a little bit chaotic, but then you try to get it back to where it's a little more controlled. The ER is just constantly flying at you, and it's not all adrenaline in the ER. You also get like the little kid with the broken bone and like the old man with chest pain times six months. Like It's not just constantly like gunshot wounds. Um, So I, I don't know if I can really answer that question perfectly, but I do feel like it's more of like a personality type, not so much a adrenaline junkie. Honestly, I would not identify as adrenaline junkie myself. What I really love about both environments is the opportunity to be with patients and their families, who are in crisis, it really takes a certain personality. So if I'm so focused on like the task and like go, 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 epinephrine, CPR, all the, the things, and I forget that there's like a human in the bed or there's a family member that's watching all of this, then I'm not a good nurse. And so the opportunity to be in the ER on a patient's worst day of their life, to help the family walk through the experience of a critical care loved one um, that to me is what's rewarding. Not so much like the cool stuff you get to do in your environment. Like, like I've had patients chest open up and they're like massaging the heart and I've had gunshot wounds and I've had like all the crazy stuff, but my most memorable experiences as a nurse are the times when I had to hold grandma's hand as she, you know, breathed her last breath or the times when I got to really support a family through a hard time. Um, that's, that's what I really love about nursing. Yes, there's a little bit of adrenaline, but it's not what keeps me coming back to work every day. The patient interactions
1: and the connections that I get. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat too. Like I seen a lot of crazy stuff. Working a little bit of trauma, working cardiac ICU. But like you said, like the most memorable stuff isn't like the craziness you deal with. It's like the patient connection that you have with the patient that's yeah. in this really difficult situation, or or even a family. But Sarah, can you walk us yeah. through the day of a rapid response nurse? Because usually when I come in, I'm a staff nurse. We work ICU, so we come in, we get a report, I look through the notes, and then I start to go assess, assess my patient. So what is what is your day-to-day operations for, uh, for rapid response?
0: All right. Well, first, it's different every day, but we respond to all of the rapid response calls, code blues, stroke alert, stemi alert, sepsis alert, MTP, all the emergencies in the house. But if we're not responding to one of those, we still keep ourselves busy. So you might've heard of Muse, modified early warning score. Every hospital has their own version of it where when you take bottle signs, it automatically gives you a score for the patient. So we have the ability, as our rapid response team, to pull the Muse for every single floor and to kind of check on patients proactively. And I really love the proactive approach. The times when I can see the trend in vital signs, okay, the heart rate's going up and the blood pressure's kind of going down, or oh, their white count, and we get to, like, get in there early and get interventions before the turn to our rapid response, I love that. So if we're not doing anything else, we're probably pulling the Muse and going to see patients proactively. We also do what's called nurse consults, which every hospital causes them a different, but If a nurse has a concern about a patient and they don't quite want to like activate the whole rapid response team, they just kind of want a critical care nurse to come lay eyes on their patient, they'll call or text us and say, well, you just come look at my patient, I have this concern. We get a lot of those. We get actually as many of those as we do rapid response calls, but I love them because that nursing intuition is spot on almost every time. So the nurse says, I just don't like how he's breathing sure enough, both is going septic or his eyes just look weird. Yep. I think he's bleeding into his brain. Like sometimes the vital signs haven't quite indicated rapid response, but the patient presentation just doesn't feel right to the nurse. And that nurse concern, I follow it every time. I'm never like, Oh, but the vital signs are fine. I'm, I'm always like, Hey, if you're concerned and you know, this patient's baseline, I'm going to trust that. So statistically, this for our hospital, about 40% of those nurse concern calls and the nurse consults end up being upgraded to the PC or ICU. Sometimes it's something minor, we can just get some fluids on the patient, we can just, you know, get a quick CAT scan and rule out the worst case scenario. But very often it's something legit. And so I really love not just the adrenaline rapid response and the code blue, but also the let's get interventions before we actually have an emergency and prevent it from happening at all just a little more data, because I, I love data. Um, there was a study recently published where they looked at all the types of rapid response calls and narrowed them down to about 10 categories of why nurses call rapid response. And seven of those 10 weren't even bottle signs. Like you would think it would be high heart rate, low blood pressure, all the things, but a lot of them were just symptom or that gut feeling of I just don't like how their belly looks it looks different or they're talking different than they were yesterday so it's not always the vital signs that alerts us that the role of the bedside nurse is so so important and so my role as our response nurse is to trust that to come alongside them and if it turns out not to be an emergency then i can offer education about why i'm not concerned about the patient but again my approach would never be like this is not an emergency instead i say What's concerning you? Like, how can I support you? Let's get to the bottom of this. I'll call the doctor. I'll help to advocate. So every day is different. (laughs) Oh, we also start ultrasound guided IVs. So that's kind of like intermixed in between the emergencies that we attend. But, um, on an average day, I'll do maybe seven or eight rapid responses, a handful of ultrasound guided IVs, a handful of nurse consults. Um, a code blue like every other day. It's not every day we have a code blue, which is good. That's how, <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be, right? Um, some more data, if you care to hear the data. Uh, when we started the rapid response team, our amount of rapid responses tripled, which is great because nurses are like, oh, there's a dedicated team for this. I can call them, I'm not bothering the ICU nurse. And when rapid responses tripled, code blues were cut in half. So that whole early intervention piece is so important. I'm so passionate about it, as you can tell because I want to rescue the patient before they're amically unstable. I want to get to them and get interventions going before they crash, because that is better for their outcome.
2: That's a very uh, great statistic that Code blues got cut in half. So what is something that a staff nurse that's taking care of uh, their patient should be looking after, or you believe is vital for early prevention when it comes to not calling the code and Maybe some assessment findings you noticed or powerful questions you should be asking your patient to kind of get to know them a little bit deeper and the story what's happening versus just looking at vital signs.
0: Good question. So one thing I encounter a lot is I'll ask the nurse, "Hey, so you know what's going on with the patient?" And they say, it, and I get it, I don't really know. I, I just got this patient today. I've only had them for two hours. They were sleeping at bedside shift reports. I don't even know their baseline, but I w- when I went to wake them up, I didn't like how they were acting. I don't, I don't know if this is normal for them, but I'm concerned about this. So I would say to any nurse out there, getting that baseline is, is so important. And I know you hate to wake patients up, it seems so mean, but for their sake, for their benefit, we gotta wake patients up the second we meet them. Even if you don't have a time to do like the full assessment, just a quick baseline neuro status to know what you're working with there. um, So that if an emergency does happen, you can know, oh yeah, this is a big change or I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they never talk. Maybe they're always like this. Maybe they always breathe like that. I don't know. But if you'd actually done a baseline assessment, you would have that information. Um, And then the other thing I would say too, is never be like uh worried about sounding the alarm and looking stupid. <laughs> I would so much rather someone say, ah, oh, this is concerning and then end up not being a big deal than someone like waiting, 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 waiting. Oh, and now the patient's coding. So I, I would I guess the advice there would be trust your intuition because it's it's probably right. Um, every once in a while, you know, it's like a brand new nurse and they're not sure if this is an emergency or not and it's not. But most of the time that nursing intuition is is spot on. Um, the other thing too, is just knowing like the basics, as far as what to do when the patient is first crashing. So obviously you find your patient crashing, you're going to call a rapid response. Okay. But like, what do you do in the three minutes that it takes for the team to get there? Like I have several flights of stairs and maybe a couple elevators to take to even get across the hospital to that emergency. You don't want to just be like twiddling your thumbs, thinking Oh my gosh, I hope she gets here soon. There's things you can be doing. Um, so I would say for Any patient you're concerned about, bring the crash cart close by. Even if you don't use it, just have it close by. Um, Be comfortable with how to place the pads on the patient, like where they're located, how to connect it to the machine, how to assemble the BVM, because sometimes it comes out of the package, you're like, oh, it's not like this in ACLS. Oh, you have to like put this piece together, and how do you plug it into the wall, and how many liters do you put it to? So just like the basic stuff of how to respond to an emergency. Um, And then when you encounter that patient that just doesn't look right, We all know like the ABCs, but then people often like just totally forget them. (laughs) So just a reminder, the first thing I would look for is how is this patient's airway? Is it open? Is it patent? Is grandma like slumped down in the bed? I need to scoot her up so she can breathe better. Um, Has the patient vomited? Have they aspirated? I need to like suction that airway out. Actually the patient, cardiac arrest from grilled cheese. And we just had to get the grilled cheese out and. We got ROSC. So make sure the airway is open. And the next is B for breathing. Again, we all know that one. How is the patient's breathing? And people get all anxious about it. Like, what do I even do for the breathing? Well, if they're breathing too fast, they're clearly asking for more oxygen. So put the non rebreather mask on, turn it to 15 liters, give them more oxygen. They're breathing really fast, begging for more oxygen. But if you're watching their chest rise and fall and you're like, hmm, they just don't have much chest rest fall. What is that, like four or five? So that patient doesn't just need oxygen in their nose, they also need breaths. And so feeling empowered to go ahead and put that BVM together and actually breathe for the patient. So that's airway and then breathing. Are they breathing too fast? Are they breathing too slow? And then intervene the appropriately, each one. I've seen a couple of times when the patient's breathing like two breaths a minute and they just put a nasal cannula on the patient. But again, if you're not actually like like sucking it in the patient, then that is okay. It's not helpful. And then finally, circulation. So sometimes it's obvious. Like, do they have a pulse? No, they don't. I have to circulate for the patient. But sometimes they're talking to you, and I would say in that moment, make sure it's the nurse that you have access to the circulatory system. So go ahead and check all your IVs, make sure they're working. I would rather know when I walk in the room that, hey, that IV is not working, than wait for the patient to cardiac arrest, and now I'm struggling to get an IV, having to do an IO on the patient. So let's make sure we have access to the bloodstream. So that's my big ones. Make sure you know where the crash card is. Make sure you know where like the code blue button is or the lever, whatever you have at your hospital. Make sure you know how to get the pads on the patient, and how to put the BVM together. And then when you're responding to the patient, airway, breathing, and circulation. I know it's like so basic, but people get, they freeze and they forget about that basic stuff. And they're focusing on like, oh my gosh, what drugs did I give the patient last? Like, oh, what did I, what did I miss? Not thinking about what I need to do right now in this moment.
2: So much to reflect on there. And I'm, I'm thinking about myself as a new nurse. The hardest part for me was yes, getting comfortable with the communication, or I should say, with the equipment, where things are, how to put it on. And that BVM mask, that was one of my biggest hurdles as well, where I felt very uncomfortable pushing the the bag mask and also getting comfortable and understanding that hey my patient needs some o2 the nasal cannula is not working i feel like that was always a respiratory's a role when i was around in med surgeon having a patient so i never was able to play with that equipment and can you tell us a little bit about the dynamic when it comes to taking care of the patient what what do you do as a as like a team lead of the r team what should be your other roles as far as the staff nurse and the dynamic of the whole entire situation
0: Yeah, it's really important to me that we don't just show up and be like, all right, we're here to take care of this mess, you know, or the rapid response team, but to really approach it as if we are here to come alongside you and support you with our critical care background. And so, yes, we do kind of assume the role of team lead and like delegate what needs to happen, um, but not in a way that's going to make anyone feel stupid or like push them down, but rather elevate it. And so as far as the team lead role, when I, First walk in the room, I'm doing a quick scan of the room to make sure I have everything I need. Is suction set up? Do I have someone on compressions? Is there someone documenting? Is the crash chart close by? What's the, like, it's like, you'll probably see me scan the room, but I'm thinking about 30 things all at one time to make sure everything's taken care of. And then wherever I see a gap, I'm just assigning roles and making sure the role that I have assigned, they feel comfortable doing. So I would never want to give, say, like a new grad, documentation. That's a really hard role. If you've never done it before, I might put them on like compressions or pushing the drugs in, right? Something a little bit more simple. Um, So yeah, team lead, their their job mainly is to make sure all the roles are filled and to kind of observe and make sure that it's all happening uh, appropriately. So in our hospital, um, residents are the ones that respond to the rapid response calls, which is great, Um, but they are also learning. And so I come to it with 18 years experience in critical care and ER and a master's degree. Emergencies are my jam. And a lot of them, even though they're physicians, they're still kind of learning like, is this sick? Should I be concerned about this? And sometimes I have to be really forceful and pointing out this patient is diaphoretic. I cannot feel a radio pulse. I look at their legs, they are modeled. I'm very concerned about blah, blah, So just making sure that the the team leader, the physician is hearing all of my concerns and kind of making sure that they're addressing all the things that are concerning to me, not just being like, well, let's see what the doctor says and sit back and let it happen. I, I really take a very uh, forward position in making sure all the roles are filled and making sure all the patient concerns are being addressed, either diagnostically or intervention wise. So Sarah, does that answer your question?
1: Yeah. So when a rapid response is called, is it just you and a physician that goes down to, to assess the, the rapid response or is there more that you bring along with?
0: Yeah. So um, it's either one or two of us, depending on <laughs> How many versions do we have happening in the hospital at that moment? <laughs> um, so minimum one of us. And then the ICU resident or nurse practitioner or PA. And then a respiratory therapist comes. Phlebotomy also comes. That's it for a rapid response. Um, when you call it code blue, it's a lot more people. And the ICU attending also comes. But oftentimes it's just me and the ICU resident who it might be like their second year as a physician. Um, and so we work collaboratively to make sure that uh, everything is being addressed, looked into, investigated, treated uh, for that patient. Mm-hmm. And then we'll decide together, does this patient need to go somewhere else, like ICU or maybe progressive care unit, or can we stabilize them to stay here? And again, we'll, we'll talk to that together.
1: And Sarah, what are some common or universal questions that you would ask the nurse that's calling the rapid response?
0: That's a good question. Um, so we've done lots of education in, in our hospital. So the nurses are at this point, like prepared with that response. But when I first started, they were like, you know, they might be hiding in the corner somewhere, but now they kind of know, I really just want to know what the patient's here for, what led up to this event, like in the last hour, what's happened, what drugs have they had, have they gone to a certain procedure? Uh, and then how different is this from baseline? Cause you know, you might call a rapid response for unresponsiveness, but the patient is always nonverbal and unresponsive like so i kind of want to know like what the baseline is so that that's basically it what's their baseline what's happened in the last hour what are they in the hospital for and then if there's any concern specifically that you have tell me don't be afraid to tell me what concern you have um and so now i walk in the room and they're like hey sarah i'm primary nurse and here's what's going on with the patient here's what they're here for done what i don't need to know is like They had an appendectomy in 1987 and they also have an IV in the left AC and they have been in the hospital for six days and they had like all the little details that don't pertain to this exact moment. We might get to those, but initially I just wanna know what are they here for? What's happened? What concerns you? Um, And I love when the nurse already has a brand new set of vital signs. Like they walk in and say, oh my gosh, they don't look good. And they call someone to get a new set of vital signs. So we have that to look at. Otherwise, that's the first thing I'm doing is I want bottle signs to know how low is the blood pressure? How high is the heart rate? So basic, basic assessment, like basic history, and then new set of bottle signs.
2: And I think going back to what you were saying earlier, the power of getting your baseline assessment, I think that's so powerful because having some experience in surge. If it's your first time, go do everything you have to in that room. Find out their neural status, just like you said, how they're breathing. Just get to know them because having five or six patients, you become so busy, especially as a night shift nurse. You don't check up on them or maybe they're sleeping. The shift goes by and then it's early morning, and I'm sure you get rapid response at 6 a.m., which is a very common thing <laughs> anywhere we travel, nurse, because you were just so busy, and I don't blame them. Sometimes we – it's like a when in the you. It's like, oh, 6 a.m., somebody's going to call rapid. It's um, – um one of those things but yeah baseline assessment and kind of going back to what you're saying with team dynamics and things and getting a set of vital signs what are some flaws that you see in that commonality of your work that could be prevented or could lead to a better rapid response you
0: I mean, I mean with team dynamics, dynamics or with like, like nursing
2: just in general maybe body. nursing yeah some great tips that you could give nurses to not do that for example you just mentioned getting a set of vital signs before you come in that's powerful for you is there anything else that could lead to a better rapid response from that staff nurse that's calling the rapid
0: i think those are the main things honestly just knowing where your equipment is and knowing how to activate an emergency being prepared with a quick summary of what happened to the patient um getting a blood sugar if it's relevant like if you're going to call a stroke alert have taken a blood sugar because very often it's just the blood sugar is 36 and we can fix that with some sugar rather than like a CAT scan and all the things. Um, I I guess I would say too, just like not being afraid to to share your concern. I I feel like there's so many nurses are afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing or that what concern they have is not going to be concerning to me. Spout it out. Like I want to hear all of it. Um, A lot of times we'll have even like the nurse tech they'll say, hey, Sarah, just so you know, like this is not how this patient acts. I've had for three days now, and this is not how she acts. And so thank you, nurse tech, for knowing this patient, because the nurse just got them two hours ago. Your knowledge about their baseline or whatever your gut concern is, that that is really, really important to share. But as far as like things that people do wrong, I feel like for the most part, nurses do the right thing. The biggest hurdle is not speaking up when they should not advocating whenever they are really concerned, um, for fear that they'll look stupid. But I just want to remind nurses like the doctors, they ain't your boss. So if they disagree with you, it's not going to affect your paycheck. It's not going to affect your job status. Like we are working collaboratively. So it's your job to advocate for the patient and it's their job to trust your concern and look into it. So I'm kind of like, I, I don't really, care, I don't really care if the doctor sees me as annoying or abrasive or um, whatever, whatever, they might, whatever adjective they might describe me. I'm like, I, I don't do this job for you. I do this job for the patient. And so just feeling empowered to to speak up whenever you're concerned about your patient. And honestly, a lot of times we'll get calls where the nurse says, "I called the doctor and they said it's fine, but this doesn't seem fine to me." And so I see the patient. I'm like, "Nope, you are right." you are absolutely right, this is not fine. So then I called the doctor and I say the exact same thing they probably already said, but because I'm the rapid response nurse, doctor's like, oh, what? Oh, they're tachycardic? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yes, the nurse already told you this. But I don't know if I'm able to use more specific terms. So like rather than saying, oh, the patient's not, they're breathing weird, I would say the patient's using accessory muscles, their tripod position, they look a little pale, little diaphoretic, their respiratory rate is 40. Oh, that's another one. That is a, that is an air I see a lot is respiratory rate. <laughs> I can talk about Pardon me while like I get on my soapbox. I feel like respiratory rates are documented erroneously. A lot of the time I'll see the patient's bottle signs and it says respiratory rate of 16 for like five days, but then I go see the patient and they're clearly breathing 45 times a minute. I'm like, there's no way they went from 16 to 45 in 10 minutes, unless something drastic happened. But usually patients kind of work up to that. And so I want to remind nurses that, that. One of the first indicators of patients getting sick is that respiratory rate. They, the body tries to compensate. When you're acidotic, the body's gonna to try to blow off that CO2. And it might not be that they have a respiratory problem, but the respiratory system is what's activated to start compensating for that problem. So, nurses that actually take the time to watch the chest rise and fall, Man, they can gather so much data from that, not just a rate, like, oh, it's 35, but also like, what is their worker breathing? Are they using accessory muscles? And what is the pattern of their breathing? Are they having big pauses? Are they breathing shallow breaths? Like there's so much data you can get to figure out, is this a neuro problem? Is this a respiratory problem? Is this a COPD? Like there's so much you can get just from watching the chest. But when you just write Fourteen or sixteen or eighteen every single time you miss the opportunity to really look into what's happened to your patient. So I guess that would be the one that I see a lot is respiratory rates that are documented in a way that I know I know that's not what it was.
1: Yeah, I think all nurses, well at least majority of nurses are probably guilty of doing that. If, even myself, I do it sometimes. Sometimes the respiratory rate doesn't carry over to the, from the monitor, so I just peek over there. You know, grandma's breathing. She's breathing pretty fine, it looks, looks normal to me, so I'm just gonna type in the, the 16. But sir, I have, I have another question for you. This is regarding dealing with a nurse that's really stressed out or maybe freaking out about the situation because even the smartest nurse can freak out in emergency situations. So has there been a situation where you're called to rapid response and a nurse is freaking out and you kind of had a helper? calm down and relax because now you have the deteriorating patient and you had this nurse freaking out. So it's almost like having two yeah. patients at the same time. How do you deal <laughs> yeah. with how do you deal with that and how can nurses prevent themselves from freaking out like that?
0: That is such a great question. All right, so I'm going to go back a little bit to pathophysiology. We all know about the sympathetic nervous system, right? It's the whole like fight, flight or freeze that your body does to help you handle an emergency. And so when the SNS is activated, epinephrine norepinephrine release that makes your heart squeeze harder your blood vessels kind of clamp down your blood pressure goes up your heart rate goes up your vision actually gets better you are physically stronger like all these things kick in to help you in an emergency Uh, i think the best example that i've heard is what you would do if you were to see a bear so like if i saw a bear i would either fight the bear or i would run from the bear or i would drop down to be still not like nothing was happening hopefully the bear would walk away so fight flight or freeze And what's interesting is the same thing happens actually when your patient's having an emergency. Your body says, oh my gosh, there's an emergency. Fight, fight or freeze. And everyone chooses a different one. And it's not like a conscious, I choose this one today. Your body chooses it for you. And so either I've seen nurses freeze, like literally they can't move, they can't think, they can't remember what the patient's here for. They're like shaking and breaking out in hives. And like, you can tell they're hyperventilating that's their body's response to stress. And it's normal. There's nothing wrong with them. That's what their body does in stress. Other nurses I've seen like fight, like like, literally they get really aggressive and their voice gets louder and they're like really irritated it seems like. Again, I see this a lot with like rapid response nurses or critical care nurses. They're like, they recognize an emergency and they get really aggressive because that is their body's sympathetic nervous system activating, again, totally normal. Doesn't have to be that way, but totally normal. And then um, the last one is flight. I don't see this as much, but every once in a while I'll be like, where's where's the primary, Has anyone see the primary nurse? And they're like in the bathroom or they're the three doors down checking on another game gam. Like they're not even like in the emergency because they have physically run away from it. So all of those responses are normal. I wanna start with that. But I think what's important for nurses to learn is that you could actually kind of retrain those neural pathways of how to respond to an emergency you don't have to just do the same thing and be freaked out every single time you can kind of learn to um, be mindful of what your body's doing and like channel that sns to help you so i was not always the sarah that you're meeting today i used to be a much more uh what's the word like people pleaser concerned about people thought about me Um, public speaking was like not my forte at all but i really wanted to be good at it and so oftentimes I would get up to do whatever thing I had to do and I would feel my heart racing and I feel like nauseous in my stomach and my hands got all sweaty and I feel like I couldn't catch my breath. And I would say, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I, I can't do this right now. I'm, I'm too short of breath. My heart's racing too much. I can't do that. I feel nauseous. I can't do this. But I had to learn like, okay, Sarah, whenever all those things are happening inside of you, that's actually your sympathetic nervous system kicking in to help you so that nausea you feel that's the gut shunting blood away from the gut towards the vital organs right that heart racing yep your heart is racing so you have increased cardiac output you will be stronger sharper faster so i just tell myself like, when i feel that okay it's go time i'm about to be my best sarah (laughs) the best version of sarah right now yes i have this sensation in my chest but that's because my body is preparing me to handle an emergency It's not an emergency life threat to me, like a bear. It's a life threat to my patient. And therefore I need the SNS to help me with that. And so in the moment of the nurse freaking out, I'm not like, well, let's talk about the sympathetic nervous system. I would never do that then, but I will definitely like pull them aside afterwards and kind of talk through that, let them know that it's normal to feel that. And so I guess my encouragement to nurses is when you feel that sensation, when you're scared for your patient and your body is going into fight, flight or freeze, whatever it chooses, that's okay. Don't be upset with your body. It's actually there to help you. And so I've had to kind of retrain myself over the years. Okay. When I feel this, I'm about to be able to notice more things than I would usually notice in the patient. Those little changes in their their assessment findings, I'll pick up on them even better now because of my sympathetic nervous system. My my little muscles here, they're going to be way stronger than normal because I have epinephrine and norepinephrine. So I can do a full two minutes of CPR. I can get that patient up off the ground. I will be faster to run six flights of stairs to get to the emergency. So it's definitely a shift and it's not like a split second decision and I'm there. It takes time to kind of retrain those neural pathways to kind of approach it that way. And then the other little caveat I like to throw in there is um, trauma also really affects nurses' response to um, emergencies. So if a nurse has experienced trauma in their life, especially if it was repeated trauma, and again, the nursing workforce is a lot of females and the statistics about how many females have been raped or abused or molested is really, really high. So that's a lot of our coworkers that have been in a fight, flight, or freeze situation. And your body with repeated trauma kind of learns a certain way to respond. And whatever way your body chooses to respond, that's what it chose to do in that moment because that's what i thought was best for you so if you froze for so many years in response to whatever trauma that's going to be your response when your patient's having an emergency as well and so i want to remind nurses to be gracious with themselves if you freeze that's okay you're not a bad nurse you're a really good nurse that really cares about this patient and recognizes the emergency but you do have to take the effort to be like okay I, i'm feeling this i'm feeling this tachycardia i'm feeling my hand sweating i feel short of breath what is happening right now? It's not incapacitating me. It's not hindering me. I'm actually about to be the best nurse for this patient. I, I, am, I am given more strength, more ability for this patient in this moment. And kind of like training yourself to, to think of it that way. Does that make sense? So yeah. I, I definitely have had lots of conversations with the nurses who are apologizing. Oh, Sarah, I'm so sorry. I just totally forgot everything I was supposed to do. I'm like, that's okay. That It takes time to learn to be mindful of what your body's doing and to recognize it as a good thing rather than a hindrance. i yeah, really, really passionate about that one. Yeah,
2: that's very powerful because the CNS system takes over. And just like you said, we become unconscious and we choose one of these three ways to respond. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand that we could detach ourselves from these physical sensations, but we get so tied up mm-hmm. on the feelings and emotions of the situation where we're just feeling through that instead of, being rational analytical getting okay hey what's going on here what can i do in this situation versus just freezing have you noticed tools in your life that you use to help you get out of this cns uh, response is it maybe meditating or is it breathing have you noticed a tool that worked great for you
0: i have a hard time with meditating (laughs) i get easily distracted to be honest with you um but one thing i do Every time I'm running into an emergency, I I personally say a prayer, and it's the same one every time. God, give me the strength that this patient needs. Give me the wisdom to know how to respond. Give me the calm demeanor to help lead this team. Give me what I need in this moment to help this patient. Um, It's something I literally pray daily and have been doing for so many years. I guess it's kind of like a meditative thing, Um, just recognizing that it's not just about me and what I'm feeling. It's how can i use what i'm feeling to help someone else but yeah it was just like a retraining of those neural pathways over the years to recognize it as good and to interpret it as good rather than as something negative negative. and i think that most people you know when there's an emergency and they feel those things it's associated with negativity but in the nursing world when there's an emergency and you can tap into that sns is actually a positive thing um so I have the, the best technique for that, but that's that's what's worked for me. Um, I think for other nurses, a meditation would be a great thing to do to think, maybe think back to a time they had an emergency and really process that moment and allow themselves to heal from it or to move past it rather than just feeling like, oh, I'm terrible and I'm I'm terrible. But to really like go revisit it again and um, and and work through it.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned before a little bit about intuition. And with intuition comes comes confidence, and I know when I was a younger nurse, I had the right intuition, but a lot of times I would not not tell people what's going on, and I would go home and I would come back next shift, and I'd be like, "Oh, what happened to Steve? He's," and it's like, "Oh, his bowel perf," and I was like, "God damn, I knew it! I knew he was a little more distended. I should have said something, but I didn't." So it ha- kept happening to me, and it, kind of how I got over that is just by asking small questions. I I learned to ask for like a second opinion about my peers. So I would say, hey, does Steve's admin look a little bit more distended? Does it feel firm to you? And then I would get that reinforced, like, yeah, it does feel a little more distended. It does feel kind of firm. What do you think is going on? And that's how I was able to learn confidence. So my question to you is, how are you able to build confidence? And also how can you help somebody else build confidence? Because when I used to orientate new nurses on the unit, I could tell which nurse was thinking about something but but wasn't asking. So a lot of times I could tell by their facial expressions and I would go up to them and ask, hey, what's going on with your patient? And then that would solicit them having to ask me me a question or tell me something that, that they're thinking about. So those are two ways that I build confidence and the other way was that I build confidence in other people. So how did you go about building confidence for yourself and how can you build confidence for others?
0: Good. So as far as for myself, it just took time. I mean, my first year in nursing, that was probably like the main thing that I acquired was learning that what I felt was probably right. There was a lot of times when I second-guessed myself because I felt like something was wrong, but then the vital signs were perfect. Or I was concerned that the, the doctor said it was fine, but then I would learn three hours later, oh, you're right, the patient's bowel perf, that, that's that intuition, that feeling that I had, that's because they were about to perf their gut. So. I feel like it just time kind of helped me. The other thing too is I ask a lot of questions, and so the experienced nurses on my floor, if I heard them talking about a story or whatever, I would ask them questions about their patients. How did you know this? How did you know this? What concerns you about that? How did you do know that? Like so many questions. So then I'm not only learning from my experience, but I'm also gathering all the knowledge from all of their experiences. So again, I asking lots of questions, you kind of start of put pieces together, like, okay, these three symptoms together equals bad outcome. Okay, this vital sign with this vital sign equals this for the You kind of like learn to, to put those together. And then the, the more times you see a pale diaphoretic patient that ends up coding, you're like, oh, pale and diaphoretic. I should be concerned about that. That should make me concerned. Or the more times you pull out the covers and see modeled, you're like, oh, that that modeling that means they're about to code like whatever you kind of learn over time to make connections in your brain with this plus this equals unstable. So yeah, time and asking lots of questions is really how I did that. There's no magic, like turn on the intuition switch and <laughs> follow it. But I kind of built confidence in myself learning that, oh, I was right. Oh, I was right about that too. I was right about that too. Lots of times. The other one, as far as building other people's confidence, um, we get lots of those calls of nurses like, Hey, Sarah, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about their belly? What do you think about their, the way they're looking or the way they're breathing is? They're, they're looking to see, is my intuition right? Or am I way off the deep end there? Um, and one thing that I've found is by asking why questions, it puts people on the defensive. They're so like, well, why'd you do this? Well, why are you concerned about that? Well, why, why do you think that's a bad thing? Immediately like, oh, well, um, I, don't, I didn't know that. I, I, people get defensive when you say why. But just like you said, what's going on with your patient? That's perfect. Or i'll say what concern do you have for your patient or tell me about your patient or anything that opens the door to conversation but if you start with the why it automatically shuts people down <laughs> and so when i go to rapid responses i try really hard to get there before the doctors because they always say why did you call a rapid response and then it's so like uh well should i call a rapid response is this i don't know is this an emergency they can tell them getting kind of anxious about the why question But by asking the same question without the why by saying, tell me about your patient, tell me what's concerning you today. Oh yeah, they'll tell you, they're concerned. That's why they called in the first place. So I feel like eliminating the why is one way to do that. And then sometimes I know the answer. Like I see the situation with the patient, I know exactly what's wrong, but I'll ask questions in a way that gives them a chance to come to the conclusion themselves. You know what I'm saying? So I'll say like, okay, so we've already checked a blood sugar. And it was normal very good so now i'm, I'm kind of wondering what was their baseline. Like what? how do they usually talk with you okay and it's different now, do you notice any change left side or right side okay yeah look at that you're right the left side is much weaker whatever i'll ask questions to like get them to that point, whatever it might be. Um, so that they can be like oh they make the connection themselves or I'll think out loud. I'll say, all right, so when a patient has altered mental status, the first thing I'm thinking about is, what's their blood pressure? How, How was their blood pressure? Okay, so it's not the blood pressure. The next thing I'm thinking about is, and I'll like, I'll basically walk them through the things that take me this long to think through. I'll do it step by step by step. And you can see them be like, oh, that's what it is. Oh my gosh, we should check for that. And it's really, it's cool to me. I would rather, empower another nurse to figure it out and feel confident that they did, then to be like oh, this, done. That doesn't make me feel any better about myself. It doesn't, I think a lot of people assume like they will feel more awesome if they can just be like mic drop, done. But for me, a better day is when I instilled in another nurse the confidence and the competence to recognize the patient's decline themselves, then to just be like, oh, it's this, we need to do that. That, that doesn't help anybody i i'd rather just give them the time to figure it out so that's kind of how i do it. ask questions it's called socratic questioning if you think about like an educator it's where you're asking questions to, for them to kind of figure it out themselves
2: that's very powerful sarah <laughs> And i like how you mentioned that where you're asking open-ended questions to help them build the confidence so that's why you mm-hmm. took the role of being an educator because through education you're empowering that nurse versus we all, know, we all know that old-fashioned that comes in that's just kind of grumpy and is a straight shooter, which is great. She knows what she's good at and what she can do. But it kind of leaves you to becoming defensive when you're asking that why question. And just like you said, maybe because of our trauma as in the female dominant health care, whatever it is, we shut down and we take it so personal where we become defensive. And then we just start losing our train of thought versus – the open-ended questions being having a common environment and building the data, just like you said, to figure out what's going on and then they feel empowered. So it's amazing that that was your perspective on that role.
0: Yeah. And, and just to add to that a little bit more, my approachability today affects future patients. So if I come off as like, why would you do that? Or that's stupid, or that's not an emergency, that means for future patients, they're going to question, should I call Sarah? I don't want, I don't know if I want to call Sarah. But if they know, oh, Sarah's gonna come alongside me and support me and help me work through this, then they're gonna call me for the future patients. And rather than waiting for the patient's vital signs to say, oh my God, it's an emergency. They'll call me when the patient's just starting to decline and we can intervene more effectively. So I really stress this with my team and it is the culture of my team is that no matter what, we are not making anyone feel stupid. If there's some education needs to be done, we'll do it in a way that's like, how can I support you? How can I? build you up not how can i tear you down and tell you what you've done wrong because that does not help patients it does not help our profession um and honestly it doesn't make you feel any better either so i'm I'm all about the approachable warm way to embrace newer nurses and even experienced nurses not just the newer ones we all have challenges and you know sick patients but yeah it's, it's all about the the culture that makes a big difference
1: and sarah this is kind of a random question but the current hospital that I'm working for, they're trying to apply for magnet status. Do you work in like a magnet status uh, facility?
0: I have in the past. The okay. one I'm at now is not a magnet hospital.
1: Were you an educator in that magnet uh facility or no? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe you could touch upon this either way, because I'm I was just curious, like what are the education requirements for magnet status? Do you know anything about that?
0: For rapid response.
1: Uh, like just to get, because I know with mag and correct me if I'm wrong. For magnet status, you have to reach. Certain milestones you could say, and you have to yeah. have certain things in, in place and is that the same thing for the mm-hmm. education part like uh, the, the education department for nurses or is that just uh, like a more uh, of a services so thing
0: here's what I know about magnet and again I'm not the expert to be speaking on this at all, but to be magnet status, you have to have x percentage of nurses with their b s n and X percentage of nurses with their certification and their specialty and so magnet hospitals really push their nurses to get that certification um, but that's really all that i know i don't know if they have certain requirements for like um yearly competencies i don't actually i can't really speak to that i don't feel like my the education that was offered to me was like any better or, or different when i worked at a magnet hospital versus at the hospital i'm at now just that um they required that i have that uh, ccrn or cea when i worked at the other hospital
2: and i know with your passion, with rapid response, you decided to make a course. So what is it and what, what made you do it?
0: Sure. So first of all, I love teaching and my current role, I'm not the educator, I'm the rapid response team supervisor, but even though it's not on my badge, it's always in my blood. Like I love teaching. And so that's actually why I started the podcast in the first place as an outlet to still um, educate nurses, to get help them feel empowered and competent in responding to emergencies. So on my podcast, every episode is like an actual case I went to and I break down the pathophysiology and the pharmacology about that particular patient. I was like, man, I should make this into a course. So originally I started building this big robust course and it was like hours and hours long. Like I'm never gonna finish this thing. So I kind of took a step back and I made just like a basic one hour introductory course about a lot of the stuff we talked about today, but a little more in depth about how I approach emergencies. You know, nursing school, they really just teach you how to pass the NCLEX. But, and you can do a full head to toe assessment, like checking their reflex. I mean, you can do all that from, thank you, nurse in school. But what about when you don't know if the patient's stable or unstable? Or like, what's the first thing you look for? Do you, you go straight to bowel sounds? Do you go straight for, like, of all the things to assess, what do you check for first? And so I just wanted nurses to know, like, kind of what I've learned over the years, 18 years experience, what is my priority? What, what am I looking for when I approach a patient? How am I rolling things out? What is my, um, like the initial 20 seconds? What am I doing to like figure out what's wrong with the patient? How do I determine if they're stable or unstable? So this course it, it really just kind of breaks that down, um, and I talk a little bit like some case studies to kind of walk through my thinking process because it's it's pretty universal. It works for just about every single patient. So just the initial steps for responding to a patient. And then, so I I just released it literally like two weeks ago, it hasn't been out for that long. And then I'm still in the process of building that big robust course. And whenever it's done, I'll release that one too. But I just wanted to get something out there just for nurses gonna be like, okay, I passed nursing school, great. I'm a nurse, great. I can do the task, I can pass the drugs, I can document, but like, what about the times when the patient's crashing? What do I need to do? And I feel like this course answers that question. So nurses are like, okay, I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm checking for. I know what's the priority. I know what I don't need to do right now, and I know what I need to focus on for this patient. So that's kind of what the course is.
1: Yeah, it's really beneficial. I wish, I wish I would have would have had that when I was uh, fresh out. do! I, was, <laughs> I wish I would
0: have had that. Yeah,
1: because I know when when I first got hired to the cardiac ICU uh, when I used to work in, in Illinois, my first question was to my chargers was, "Hey, what do I do in an emergency situation? What do I do when patients crashing?" and what he told me was was like there's multiple things you can do, but trust me, I'm not gonna go over all with you right now. But just trust me when you're in a situation, we're gonna help you, because it's one of those things where you just have to go through the motions to 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 actually learn. But now that you have a physical course or or a, a book or something to learn off of, it's very very beneficial. Because I was going into it basically just like going into at like unknown winging place it. yeah I'm, I'm literally yeah. winging it I'm winging it because I'm not gonna know what to do and I'm gonna hope my charge nurse is there that I, that I spoke to that is gonna know what, know what to do because I'm not gonna have any idea and it would be good to at least know the fundamentals or, or like the basics we, we all kind of remember ABCs from nursing school but do we really know ABC's from nursing school no we just really know about ABCs on, on an exam portion but not really ABCs when it comes to real life
0: yeah exactly yeah it really is all the things that i wish someone would have set me down and been like okay first look at this and then this and then this is the priority i'm like oh it took years for it all to kind of click in and be like oh and that's how we get to the conclusion that this patient is unstable oh that's how i can rule out this as a worst case scenario so i i really hope that it helps nurses and their patients obviously which is why why i put it out there
2: where can people find this course
0: it is www uh, rapidresponseandrescue.com
2: One last question that we like to ask our guests. So if you had the opportunity to have a cup of coffee with anybody one last time, who would it be and why?
0: Oh man, that's an easy one. My mom. So my mom passed when I was nine and she was a really, really good mom. But I would love to have the opportunity to talk with her again and to tell her all about the things my life has <laughs> encountered and to get her wisdom on stuff and just to just to hear her voice again would be such a privilege. Um, I don't even drink coffee, but I would I would have coffee with her just for the opportunity to talk with her again. That's probably mine.
1: That's awesome. And Sarah, where can people find you? You have your own podcast. You have a social media profile. Where can people go to find out more about Sarah?
0: Sure. So I have the podcast. It's called Rapid Response RN, and it's on every podcast platform. Um, and then I have my Instagram profile, which is the Rapid Response RN, and uh, I've just started building a Facebook page, but it's also going to be Sarah Lorenzini on Facebook. Shouldn't be too hard to find. Uh, and then the course is uh, rapidresponseandrescue.com.
2: Awesome, Sarah. Thank you so much for your time and all the knowledge that you have in rapid response healthcare and able to provide so much knowledge for our listeners and for anybody in the future. And yeah, maybe we'll have you on again. Thank you for your time.
0: Love, Love you. to. It's good talking with you guys. Thank you so much.
1: Peace,